Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions, visit us on the web, www.theporchchurch.tv. Those are some powerful truths that we sang about. I don't know about you, but I could sing those another two or three times and carry that reminder with us. Hopefully uh, today's message has something similar in it that you can carry with you throughout their week. Again, church isn't something that we do on Sunday. Church is who we are. It's our identity in Christ that we are His. And so we've been walking through the book of Ephesians, looking at it as this letter, right, that Paul writes to people that he's very, very familiar with. And and we're kind of wrapping up towards the end of it. Remember, we started by saying that Paul's going to give us all the right beliefs in chapter 1 through 3. He's going to tell us who Jesus is, what he's done for us, why it's important that we understand that. And then about chapter four, he really kind of transitions into, so because we have all these right beliefs, because we have this understanding now about who Jesus is, now then we have to translate that into right actions, into doing the right things. And so we've encountered quite a few lists, right, where Paul is just kind of laying out there all the actions that we ought to do and should do and are a part of this new life in following Jesus. And so So today we continue in that vein. We're going to wrap up on chapter 5 and kind of just touch base on chapter 6. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, if you'd like to follow along. Maybe you brought your Bible. If you'd like to follow along in one of the worship center Bibles, I'd encourage you just to slip your hand up. Our ushers are walking around. They'd love to give you a Bible. You can borrow it for this service, or if you don't own a Bible, please just keep it. Uh, It's our gift to you. We'll be on page 551 uh, if you want to follow along there. Of course, all the scriptures will also be up on the screen. But, but while you're turning there, I just want to give a little disclaimer. This is a pretty familiar uh, scripture passage. If you've ever been to like a wedding, you've probably heard it before. It may have been a part of your vows. Certainly, if you've ever heard a church marriage series, right, this is like one of the major themes and focuses to it. And so because of that, we, we get a little familiar with the text. Uh, but not only that, but there's, there's a concept in here uh, that especially to our modern ears can be pretty offensive. As I was preparing and just kind of praying through this in the era of women's equality and the Me Too movement and things that are going on just in the world today, this this word that this section really focuses in on can be pretty offensive. The word, if you can't figure it out, is, is submission or to submit. And when you kind of put that from the 2,000 year ago church into our modern age, into the ways in which that's perhaps been taken advantage of throughout the history of our society, even up to today, all of a sudden this text can, uh, can maybe offend us a little bit. Maybe we can bristle and push back to it. Uh, maybe we've been hurt in some way by somebody who's claimed to use this scripture and perhaps out of context. So uh, I don't want to give a disclaimer to the text as much as I just want to say, let's agree uh, to perhaps learn something this morning. Let's agree that that maybe we can't just translate word for word what this understands and come to an understanding of perhaps what we all need to do together because I think that we're desperately in need of a new understanding and a new definition for what submission looks like among God's people because as we walk through this passage, it's going to become very, very clear that this idea to submit has been misconstrued because submission is for men and women. It's for everyone under Christ. And I think we're going to discover that together. So if you'll go on that journey with me, uh, I think that we'll uh, arrive somewhere that we can all be encouraged by by the end. So we're in Ephesians chapter 1. Let's start at verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should also submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Right, famous passage on marriage dynamics, famous uh, ideas, things that perhaps we've explored. Again, it might be our tendency to go, yeah, I think I've, I think I've got this. I think I understand. I think I've heard enough uh, about this passage. But really, throughout antiquity, throughout history, the way in which this passage has been applied is um, men, men win. Right? Like that's just kind of what's been taken away. Men are the breadwinners. In antiquity, they were exclusively the ones who controlled the household. In the Roman Empire, the status of your entire family was through the father, was through the patriarch, right? Civically, only he could even divorce his spouse. Only he could exercise that authority. His household was literally an extension of his body. It was referred to as his hand or his right hand. It was a symbol of power and status and the more kids that you had, the more that benefited you. They didn't have rights in and of themselves. So the, the, the male in the Roman household was supreme. He was king of his castle, literally. And so the question that I want us to answer today or that I want us to wrestle with today is, is Paul in this letter articulating the current reality that exists in his world or is he giving us overarching instructions as to what a marriage should look like in the Lord? Is he saying that this is the model, that this is what we ought to do, or is he saying since it exists this way, here's the ideas about how you should live then underneath it? Now, part of this answer comes from the surrounding verses in chapter 6. It's actually the next 10 verses, and I wanted to go really, really in-depth there, but uh, the Broncos played 11, and so I've been told… I'm told that ending on time is important. So uh, maybe I'll post that on, on the Facebook page. But, but needless to say, Paul sets up some revolutionary truths in the following verses. Again, these verses are about relationships in general, and he gives these examples. He, sa- he starts with everyone, and then he says, husbands and wives, this is what it should look like in your relationship. And then he says, hey, kids and parents, this is what it should look like in your relationships. And then slaves and masters, this is what it should look like in your relationships. And here's why this was so revolutionary at the time. Again, he's addressing people groups who have no rights in and of themselves. They have no status. They have no quality of life. They have no even choice in the actions that they take. They were slaves and masters. They were kids under their household. They were wives who were simply ruled over by their husband. But when Paul addresses them, he restores dignity to them. He says, hey, now that you're a Christ follower, you may still be a slave, but you have a choice in how you act 
based on that perspective. Based on who Jesus is, you have a choice about whether or not you submit to your earthly master. You have a choice about whether or not you serve a heavenly father or simply the earthly perspective. And he restores dignity in that in their submission, he gives them a choice to say, in light of who Jesus is, you ought to serve your earthly master in the same vein out of respect and honor for your heavenly master who you know is going to square up everything when it comes to the end. And the revolutionary part is that he says, hey, masters, you do the same to the slaves, which is unheard of, right? Masters didn't have to have any respect, any honor, any dignity to slaves. It kind of comes with the territory. But Paul says, no, not as a Christ follower. As a Christ follower, you have to recognize that you are in submission. You are under authority just as the slaves which work for you in your household. He does the same thing with parents and kids. He says, hey, dads, you're used to just fully having your kids be a part of your household. You can put them to work as long as you want to and go into the field. Whatever you say goes. Again, they're an extension of your kingdom. They are your property until the dad died and then they took his place. But Jesus says, no, not so with you. I actually, Paul says, I want you to live differently. I want to instead give you choice and honor to say, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't overwork them. Don't put too much on them. And kids, by the way, you ought to honor and respect your dad, not just because of their position in your household, but because you understand who Jesus is. And by honoring your father and mother, you honor him. All I want to say about that is that these two following teachings were fundamentally revolutionary to their understanding in the first century about how interactions work. This would have come out of left field. This would have been totally new, countercultural for them to understand the way in which in Christ they were to relate with the people who were in relationship with them. So, so here's my question for us today. Do you think that Paul, that the Holy Spirit in writing this letter, would give revolutionary commands to slaves, revolutionary command to slave owners, revolutionary commands to parents and kids, but then say to men and women, eh, you got it figured out. Good job. Right? Just keep it going. No, right? You guys with me this morning? We moved along here, right? doesn't make sense. Maybe we're missing something. Maybe there's something that we've glossed over this passage that we think it's so familiar, that we think it's so close to us, that we're actually missing part of the point in which it's said. See, wives were required to submit. That was, the, that was the letter of the law. They had no rights in and of themselves, but again, Paul gives them dignity and honor in their choice. He connects it with their relationship with Jesus and that choosing to place themselves in honor and respect next to their husbands would allow them, in fact, to honor the Lord. That's the line there, as you do to the Lord. That doesn't mean that the wife submitted to her husband in the same way that she submits to the Lord, but rather that in her submission mission to her husband is her service rendered as to the Lord. It's an act of worship. It's an act of sacrifice. It's an act of submission, but not submission to her husband directly necessarily, but an act of submission to her heavenly Father who has instructed and guided her. Which brings us, of course, to men, right? Women submit, men love. Anybody else feel like maybe the, the men are getting the easy, easy piece of the deal here, right? <laughs> Women, are you with me, right? Like this is just, you're like, submit, you got to do what I say, all that kind of stuff. And men just be like, I don't know, treat them like you treat your own body, right? Like just take care of them, feed them, make sure they're well rested. And uh, this is the summation of the scripture, right? 
I think we're missing something. Are you with me? Like, I think that perhaps the Holy Spirit and Paul would have to communicate something different to us. So, men, here's what the word actually is there, right? Uh, the word here is, is, we translate love, but again, in Greek, there's multiple levels to the word love. So the word here is agapao, agape, maybe a word that you're familiar with. Agape is not just, I love pizza. Uh, agape is not just like a mutual feeling of affirmation. It's not even the term that would have been most equated with this familial style of love. Agape is a self-sacrificing, putting someone else's needs ahead of your own kind of love. So as we look back at this passage, if Paul were just wanting to say, you've got it figured out, he might use the word phileo. Phileo is another word for love. It just means family love, affirmation. It would have been the required, uh, the required sentiment if you were in a family. So husbands love your wives ought to be phileo, ought to be a mutual respect, a, a healthy understanding. Allow them to be in your household. Allow them to participate. Yes, this is good, but no, that's not the word that Paul uses. Again, Paul interjects a revolutionary concept, this agape style of love. And here's why it's so important in the context of the Christian faith. Agape is the word love that we use to understand what Christ did, right? For God so agape the world that he sent his only son to die for us, to pay our price that we might gain eternity with him. So when, when Paul uses this word to convey this idea, he's not merely saying business as usual. Because again, business as usual is your king of the castle. What you say goes. Love was not a requirement. It was a social contract, and the wives couldn't do anything anyway. What Paul says, though, is no, in your love for your wife, she ought to be first. She ought to be one that you equally submit to, not as far as a horizontal relationship, but because of your understanding of who Jesus is. Again, Paul ups the ante for the household, for the church to say, no, I don't just want you to be in the same relationship that you know and understand is culturally appropriate. I want you to put your spouse first. And, and this is why this understanding is so important, because now it sounds like we're getting to a more healthy, perhaps you'd say 21st century, understanding of marriage. It sounds like husbands are submitting to their wives as to the Lord, and that wives are also submitting to their husband as to the Lord. That it's God first, and then our relationships, whether it's with husband, wife, whether it's with parent, kid, whether it's with coworker, boss, whether it's with slaves and master, all of these relationships ought to be influenced by the person and character and nature of Jesus as he transforms our lives. So I would contend for us today that what we see demonstrated in these verses is not a throwback to an era that we have grown out of, but a look at what undergirds our current understanding of relationships. And it's a push to make our faith in Jesus the hallmark for every relationship that we have. I think we need a new understanding of the term submission. Because again, it conjures up all of these images, all of these stories that are incongruent with what the Bible is trying to communicate. Because with our cultural realities, it's been abused, it's been used to oppress people, it's been used to tell children and wives even up to the present day that submission is what they ought to do simply because God says to do it. But we can't just simply throw out the term, right? It is the term. It means what it means in Scripture. Submission is really this umbrella term for what God expects from his people to place him first than it is to characterize our relationships. We've just misapplied it. 
And the answer is really so small. We've already talked about it, but we just kind of gloss over it. Again, like we understand it, like we've heard it, like maybe it's not that revolutionary, but I want to go back to where we started in verse 21 and to let this be the defining hallmark for the conversation. Here's how Paul begins this entire section on relationships. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. As a matter of fact, the, in, in verse 22 where he says, wives submit to your husband, the word for submit doesn't even appear there. It actually comes from verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands is literally how it reads, and then husbands to your wives. He actually ups the ante more for the husbands. But this one little verse sets the tone for everything that follows it, and we tend to just kind of skip right over it. We tend to get into the nitty-gritty of who wins the marriage fight and who does what and who says what and all those types of things. But what Scripture actually says is that we ought to submit to one another. Who's supposed to submit. Everyone. Everyone is required to submit themselves out of reverence for God. In other words, in light of who Jesus is, in light of all that God has given to us, in light of the fact that you were dead but now you're alive, in light of the fact that you were separated and cut off but God invited you into his family, in light of everything that Paul has been building up to in Ephesians, then your reality, your place is to recognize that God is worthy of everything And we submit to his authority in our lives, in our actions, in our beliefs, in the things that we do, in our comings and in our goings. And yes, in our relationships, we ought to place ourselves at the space and in the moment where we can most reflect Christ to the people around us. Does that mean husbands ought to do it? Yep. Wives? Yep. Kids? Yep. Co-workers, the list goes on and on and on. The idea here is not that submission is bad, it's that perhaps we've misapplied it. Perhaps we've misinterpreted it, and through the centuries in a patriarch and male-dominated society, we have some bad tendencies that we are correcting, we're trying to correct, but I want to be very, very clear. I think Scripture actually paints a much clearer version of where we're headed culturally than where we've come from. And I think that's important for us to understand. So I'm going to give us, I'm going to give us a term. It's one that we've talked about before. Uh, it's something that I think is just makes this verse memorable and makes it applicable, makes it something that we can actually carry with us throughout our weeks, throughout our relationships. Uh, and it's simply a term. It's called mutual voluntary submission. Mutual voluntary submission. Submission. I think this encapsulates kind of the, the piece not only of the marriage verses, but also of the submit to one another. What's mutual? It's both, right? Everybody involved is agreeing to do this thing together. What's voluntary? Not forced, right? Yeah, by choice. It's not like we're going, you submit to me, which is far too often how these verses have been used in the past and in our history. It's saying, no, what we're going to willingly do is to come together as we serve Jesus, and we're going to put him first and foremost, and we're both going to agree to voluntarily submit to Christ, and as we submit to Christ, that means that we submit to each other also at different times, at different places, and in different ways. See, watch this. It's six chapters in 
we're at the end of the letter, and Paul says, hey, you know Jesus, right? The one who's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in chapter one, who made you alive in him in chapter two, who invited you and made you a part of his kingdom in chapter three. Well, because of him, you should live your life in submission, not just to him, but to others, and not choke out kind of submission, not slavery or forced servitude, but our actions and our attitudes should be submissive, should be under Jesus because of all he did for us. And so when we have conflict, we have opportunity to put this into practice, what does it look like? Hopefully it looks like mutually coming to an agreement where we voluntarily place ourselves under each other as we follow the Lord. So let's go to real practical here. Who wins the fight, right? How do we determine who wins the fight? Typically, wives submit, husbands love, and so we just kind of spin that around. What, is it, what does it mean to sacrificially put the other person first? Who wins simply? Let's start real simple. What's for dinner? Okay. How many of you know uh, what's for dinner tonight in your houses? Anybody? <laughs> A couple of you do that. We're coming to your place. That's impressive. Um, <laughs> So here's the deal, right? When, uh, when somebody is over dinner, when they're in charge of dinner, and you come home and don't want to eat dinner, whose problem is that? It's yours, right? It's not theirs. It's not, hey, make me something that I want to eat. Uh, it's, it's saying, no, I'm going to mutually submit to this, right? Safe, safe example to say that no matter who's in charge of dinner, it doesn't have to be man or woman, doesn't have to be any of those things, but we just submit in that reality. Okay, let's up the ante. It's date night. He wants steak. She wants Italian. He wants Mexican, she wants Greek. Women, I don't know what you like to eat. Like, it's still, it's just uh, every time, right? Gentlemen are with me. Who decides, though? How do we decide where to eat? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, driver ends up going where we're going. That's a good point. But the point is, hopefully, that we have some discussion where we go, you know what? I got to choose last time. Maybe you get to choose this time. We don't always, somebody doesn't always win that. That's a sure way to have somebody feeling like they're oppressed, like they're not in a relationship, but like they're just being controlled. So we mutually set up guidelines in our relationships to submit to one another, except then you're still arguing over where to go for dinner, and I, I can't help you with that. No amount of counseling can help, help with that. Um, but, let, but let's put it this way, though, right? It's much better to be fighting over putting each other first than it is to be fighting with somebody who consistently puts themselves first. It's much better that we fight about going, you know what, I just want to put you first in this. I know I chose last week, but I, I really just want, want you to be happy. I want to go where you want to go. That's a much more sustainable pace for a relationship than constantly feeling like the other person is always getting their way and we're not having any mutual agreement on the direction to go. So uh, here's, here's just one little point there, right? So when you fight for yourself, you lose. If you've been married more than a day, you understand this, right? When you fight for yourself, you end up losing because in fighting for yourself, you end up pushing away the other person. Again, this isn't just marriage. This is relationships in general. This is with kids. This is at work. This is, uh, you know, driving on the interstate. When you fight for yourself, you tend to end up losing, when you fight for your spouse, when you fight for your significant other, when you fight for that person who is most important as you mutually submit to the Lord, then you both win. Then you both find yourself competing to put each other first, which again is so much better that we can mutually set aside our own agenda for the sake of who we are in Christ, no longer needing to get our own way, 
not to, and because not because we've submitted ourselves to our spouse, but because Jesus has ultimate authority in our lives. And when we make decisions, we come under his lordship, we come under his leadership. All right, but let's be real. Most problems are bigger than dinner, right? Most problems that come up take more work and effort than that. Most of our problems stem at some level from us wanting to be first from us wanting to get our needs met, from us feeling like we have to push and push and push to get our way, and they don't see it that way, or they don't do it, they don't do this, and we end up putting the weight on the other person to submit, to give us what makes us or what we feel like we need in that moment. Again, if we're going back to Scripture and perhaps ripping it out of its context, this is where the argument of I win because I say submit. And that creates problems because that's not what the Lord is trying to do there. So what do we do in those situations? What do we do with the actual real conflicts, right? Not the, not the safe ones that we can talk about and laugh about in church, but the actual real problems. What do we do with the spouse who wants nothing to do with church and so every Sunday you're alone? What do you do with the person who's inflexible in their work schedule and says, sorry, you're just going to have to adjust? What do you do with the boss who takes every inch that you give them and never gives back? What do you do with the person who manipulates, takes advantage of your generosity as you attempt to submit and love them in Jesus' name? After all, what submission has meant has meant being taken advantage of, right? This is why at least I bristle against this term, and I suspect many of us do too. To submit means that somebody's going to take advantage of me. To submit means that I, know, that I give up my rights and somebody else gets to tell me what to do. And again, in our world from the news, right, from abusive relationships to Me Too movement to men in power who are having to come face to face with past behaviors that were covered up, submission has gotten us in trouble. I would say it this way, misplaced submission to human authorities has led us into lots and lots of trouble. Which is why I think this teaching is so revolutionary and why it's so meaningful for today. This isn't an archaic throwback to the way that things used to be. It's saying that in light of Jesus, in light of God, can we agree to mutually submit to a higher authority? Can we agree that there's something better? And when you're in a relationship where you can agree with that, I think that you have a much better chance of rolling the ball forward. Sometimes, though, we can't mutually voluntarily submit. Sometimes people won't believe in the way that we choose to believe and live our lives. You may have a spouse who doesn't believe the way that you believe about Jesus. You may have a boss, a coworker, people in the world. So what do we do there? The, the hard reality here, again, is that we've resigned ourselves to follow Jesus. We've submitted ourselves to be there, which means that regardless of whether you're going to submit or not, I have chosen to lay my life down at the feet of Jesus because he saved me, he raised me from the dead, he's given me everything that I could possibly have in this world, and anything that I have that isn't his isn't worth having, which means that even when mutual voluntary submission is absent, we are still called to be the people of God. And the reality is, in my experience and in multiple people's experience, that as we walk through this way of modeling Christ in our lives, regardless of the person on the other side of the equation, what they see before them is a different way of living. What they see before them is that we always tend to go along, that we tend to have conversations with them that matter, that when there's conflict, that we voluntarily put ourselves and let them 
win. In other words, I think that even in relationships where there isn't mutual voluntary submission, that our submission paves the way for God's submission to be illustrated in their lives. It gives them a tangible way to see what we actually live out and what we actually play. Some of the best marriage advice that I ever got uh, was this, you can win the fight but still lose the war. You can win the fight but still lose the war. You can demand that people listen to you and serve you and you can put yourself first, but chances are you'll wind up alone. You can require a spouse to submit, but then you might wind up divorced. You can demand your own way only to find out that your way puts others down instead of lifting them up. Here's the revolutionary thing about biblical submission from this passage, that mutual voluntary submission isn't about a lowering of ourselves. It's about an elevating of others. It's about treating others as Jesus sees them and bringing ourselves alongside in the work that Jesus is doing and wants to do in their life. It's not about letting go of our rights or putting ourselves down or saying, you're better, I'm worse, as much as it's going, man, I understand who Jesus is and this person doesn't. How can I leverage this situation to let them know that there's a real God who really cares for them and that I'm a vessel of his trying to serve and love him? So when you fight for yourself, ta-da, here we go. When you fight for yourself, right, you lose. The marriage loses. When you fight for your spouse, you both win. But when we both agree to fight for the marriage together, then we all win. So next fight, who wins? Hopefully Jesus, which is like the most Sunday school answer I can imagine. Um, Right, but hopefully you submit your preferences to Jesus, which means sometimes you'll be right and sometimes you'll be wrong. Sometimes you'll submit and other times you'll get your way. Men, you are not God's gift to your home. You are the caretaker of God's incredible, beautiful, smart, intelligent, hardworking daughter. And when you demand your way, you aren't loving her as Christ loved the church. Wives, you are not expected to be your spouse's slave, but you are to love them and submit to Christ by honoring them in the same way that Jesus loves you. You know what else? Your boss deserves respect and honor. Even if they're completely aloof, even if you're covering for them left and right because Jesus loves them and when you honor them, you honor God. Your coworker who's always slacking off, what does submission look like to them when you're doing all the work? It doesn't mean that we just keep doing all the work. It may mean that out of submission for Christ, we have a really hard conversation with them about how their work affects and impacts us. Again, submission has taken this bad rap of just rolling over, and that's not what submission in Christ looks like. It means elevating others and allowing us to see them as Jesus sees them and trying to find a way to pave that gap between who we see them and who Jesus sees them to be and who they actually are. How about kids, right? Do X, Y, Z. Why? Because I said so, right? That's all I need to say. As you honor your kids, treat them with respect and dignity. When you treat them the way that Jesus would treat them, you teach them how to interact with other humans. Not because I say so, but because you're a part of this family, and in this family, this is how we show love and respect and honor 
to each other. And the list goes on and on and on. Submission has gotten a bad rap. It's gotten a sacrificial tendency to where we roll up into a ball and just don't demand anything. I think that biblical submission is far more coming to terms with who we are in Christ, much like we sang about, and then giving them that opportunity to bring others along in that journey. So today we're going to celebrate, perhaps with an act of submission, we're going to take communion together. We have table and elements prepared, and in antiquity, this was just a great leveling place where everybody got to come together and to find themselves at the base of the cross, finding ourselves that together that we need to come and to admit that first and foremost, before our arguments, before our disagreements, we need to submit to Christ and then submit to each other. Spouses, you may want to take communion together, maybe have a conversation about the most recent fight or perhaps something you are convicted on that you're going, I, I need to do better at this. And then come and take communion together. Renew your vows before the Lord, not with a public spectacle or a public ceremony, but in the quietness of your own heart to say, you know what? I want to honor the Lord by honoring you. I want to love the Lord by loving you, and that's important. You may need to ask forgiveness for the way that you've treated somebody because you haven't been mutually respecting them, mutually submitting to them for the Lord, and you just need to own that before you come to the table. But this table is a leveling place. It's an opportunity to tangibly recognize God's sovereignty and submit to him in every way. We, uh, I'm going to do some instructions now. So we practice open communion here, which means you don't have to be a member. Anybody's welcome to come to the table and to experience God in that way. We would encourage that you be in right standing with God, even if in coming forward is an admission of your need for him. As we come forward, I'm going to encourage these two uh, kind of sections. You're going to come into that middle row. You're going to come down to this table and then butterfly around the outside and then come in from the side that you exited from. Same thing with you guys. You two sections come up to this row, walk forward, walk all the way back around and enter through the back of the row into your chairs. The, the invitation is simply to come and to recognize that first and foremost, we need to submit to Christ in our lives. And that as we submit to Jesus, that that should impact every single relationship that we have. And so as you pray, as we sing, as you come up to take the elements, I would just encourage you to consider your relationships. Where are things out of balance? Where have you been demanding your own way? And where perhaps do you need to submit? The band's going to come up and lead us, and I'm going to lead us in the traditional kind of way here. See, on the night that, that Jesus was betrayed, he had a meal with his friends, with his followers, and there was bread that was already on the table, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. All of you take and eat. Similarly, there was a, a cup on the table, and he said, this cup is the, the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin, all if you drink from it, would you bow your heads with me as we pray and prepare our hearts for communion? Heavenly Father, God, I think we'd be the first to admit that perhaps we've misunderstood what submission means. Perhaps we've made it into something that you never intended it to be, and now it leaves a bad taste in our mouth. And nonetheless, God, this is your instruction for us, that we would be under your lordship, that we would be under your leadership, and that as a result, we would be so transformed and so changed that it would impact every relationship around us, that it would change the world literally because of our relationship with you. 
God, would you forgive us for the places where we've been more about ourselves and our way than we have about your way? God, would you help us reflect on those relationships in our lives where perhaps we need to make amends or we need to apologize and say, you know what, I've been, I've been pursuing my own way instead of submitting myself to the Lord and submitting myself to you, and I'd like to have a conversation about that. Maybe the Holy Spirit has put something else on your heart and your mind that you just need to take a quiet moment and to deal with him about in this space. Maybe it's something that you've refused to submit to him, an area of your life that you've said you can have this far, but not that far. Whatever it is, communion is this opportunity to come forward to receive cleansing and to receive a healing moment and to reorient ourselves with Jesus as we live in this world. The table is set and you're invited to come. Heavenly Father, God, would you prepare our hearts and prepare this place to receive your presence. Would you help us to know and to understand all that you've given and commanded us to do? Would you change our hearts and our minds and our attitudes on this subject? And most importantly, would you reform and reframe the relationship that we have with you? That we would come to fully know and understand who you are and all that you've given to us and who we are in you. And in that, to submit willingly to a process that is for our best and for our good. Heavenly Father, in coming forward today, we declare our trust and our hope in you, and we declare our dependence and our need for you to come and to reconcile us to yourself. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. All God's kids said. As the eyes begin to open And the blindness meets the light If you have so sick I see the world in light